You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello folks and welcome to episode, God knows, six, seven, eight, I'm not sure, but we're doing them weekly. This is the Wisdom Cricket Podcast. Um, today I'm joined by the Bens, uh, Ben Jones from CrickViz, of course everyone knows about Ben Jones these days, and Ben Gardner from the Wisdom Stable will be coming to those boys in a minute, but of course it's been a big week for cricket and a massive one for the English setup. A first overseas series win since South Africa at the start of 2016, is that right, fellas? That is very much yeah. right, yeah. Um, yeah, Joe Root's superb 100 in the second test saw them home, of course, to that 2-0 uh, with one to play result. Um, we are still awaiting the, the result of the third test and recording this um, after day one. We'll come to that and Johnny Bairstow's latest resurrection in due course. Um, but of course, the women's team. The women's team, uh, 40 overs of nip and tuck and tw- nerve twitches away from completing the double. Uh, only the mighty Australia stand in their way after last night's um, semi-final uh, result against India and, of course, Australia turning over the West Indies. Um, OK, gentlemen, your moment of the week from a pretty packed one, I would say. I'm going to come to you, Ben Jones. Thank first. you, Phil Walker. Um, my moment of the week was at the end of the second test between England and Sri Lanka, and it was the one moment in the match where it felt like England might not be going to win it, and it was when Karuna Ratne was getting going in the second dig. And out of nowhere, um, Keaton Jennings and Ben Folks, I think it's fair to say more Keaton than Ben, um, produced an absolute stunning moment with that bizarre relay catch where the ball's kind of turned around the corner and Jennings anticipates it, sprints, you know, a couple of metres seemingly and then sticks out a left paw, pumps it up and Ben Folks takes it and everyone goes a little bit berserk. Not unlike at the end of the uh, the game between, was it Lancashire and sorry, when Will Jackson mm-hmm. did that incredible catch, mm-hmm. he was kind of reminiscent of that, that madness. And I thought it was just quite fun because England are playing fun cricket at the moment and yeah. that was something that was bizarre and... Out of and brilliant in the field as well Absolutely. throughout that test match. Um, ben Ben Gardner, your moment of the week? Uh, mine is from the World T20, but it's not actually from that semi-final. It's from the 
the dead rubber that England played against uh, against the West Indies. That you always have an eye for a story, don't you? Yeah, I do. Yeah, and <laughs> maybe they were even quite happy to lose that one, England. But for me, it was a uh, uh, Sophia Dunkley getting a, a brilliant sort of thirty-five to drag them out of a hole. It's kind of what they've what they've picked her for. She's did it a couple of times in the KSL. Uh, she got sixty odd from when, what when sorry were like thirty for five or something, which is a brilliant in their first game. Uh, and yeah, she seems that like she's come in and she's made her debut this tournament, but it just kind of seems like she doesn't really feel pressure whatsoever or, or plays better when there is that pressure. And that's a, such a valuable asset to, to have in that team, I think. Yeah, my, my moment of the week as well. Another debutante, um, Kirsty Gordon, um, poached from Scottish cricket, we can probably say. Yeah. Um, and she bowls uh, uh, left arm tweak like you've never seen before or rather you have seen it but from a different time there's a kind of atavistic beauty to how Kirsty Gordon bowls and um, she's taken I don't know seven eight nine wickets in this tournament already took three for a course on on her debut in this tournament and she was superb last night two for two for not much and she got out Harman Preet with another gently undulating moon ball leggy uh, left arm spinner that's never quite there and the great Harman Preet just uh, towed one up in the air. That was the key moment, I would say, in that particular match. But we can talk from the, the, the sanctity of South London at, at the Oval, but Adam Collins um, and Henry Moran from the BBC, Adam Collins, of course, of this stable and various others, they were out there. So uh, here is their report from Antigua on the back of England's brilliant win against India and, of course, Australia shellacking the West Indies. Adam Collins here with Test Match Specials Henry Moran. At the end of a long day at work, a day where England went to work, they unpacked the plans of India magnificently. They showed an adaptability which the other mob didn't, which is why they're playing in a, in a global final in a couple of days. Henry? Absolutely. England's plans with both bat and ball were exemplary. They knew that if they could get the wickets of Mandana and Harman Precourt, or if they were in ensure that their run scoring opportunities were limited then they had the potential to expose the fragility at the bottom of India's batting lineup. We all remember what happened at Lords in that World Cup final mm. in 2017 and it almost repeated itself. You saw crazy runouts, you saw ludicrous shots, stumpings, all sorts. They lost 23 for 8. I mean it is appalling from India and I'm disappointed because I think they're a side that has shown so much in this tournament but what we saw from India today is they've got one plan particularly with the ball. They've got one plan they bowl it outside <laughs> off stump and they hope you can't deal with it. But if you haven't got enough runs on the board and teams are confident and competent enough to milk the runs and milk the singles, they're going to chase it down. It's exactly what England did tonight. It was clinical. And even though they did lose 8 for 23 at the death, we felt as though with 112 on a terrible pitch by any yardstick, that should not be the sort of pitches produced for a, for a semi-final of a major tournament. It was slow, it was turgid, it was everything you don't want in women's cricket. They should have been a sniff. They had England 24 for two with Beaumont and White back in the sheds during the power play. Uh, enter Amy Jones and Nat Siver, who combined for an unbeaten stand, took them all the way to the finish line. But as you say, they needed to find a way to unpick that plan. Um, when Poonam Yadav came on, we saw them preparing this week, didn't we, Henry, mm. with, uh, with the assistant coach, Ali Maiden, on his knees bowling to them at training to try and give a, a sense of the trajectory that, that Poonam Yadav bowls with. She's been so effective just throwing it out there and, 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 and seeing what would happen. But Nat Siver had a different idea, which is hit the ball as hard as possible, make room jumping across the crease. Amy Jones uh, followed suit, and they were able to keep the ball ticking over, hit the boundary enough, and India did not have a plan B. No, they didn't. And you could see over after over where they failed to have a player inside the circle at mid-wicket yeah. to stop that easy single. And as soon as you're, you're chasing and needing under a runner ball and you can get 
single, 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 and the occasional boundary, the occasional two, whatever it might be, you're going to win the game. But it went on for 10 overs. <laughs> Nothing changed. And you, you, they, we were sitting in the commentary box watching and thinking, well, surely at some point they're going to make a change of plan because this just isn't working. In England, all of a sudden, they're going to need 30 to win. And they're going to have eight wickets in hand and they're going to win this game comfortably. And as soon as closer as it got to the finish, you thought they're not going to change. This is just how this game's going to play out. And in the end, it was a bit of a disappointing semi-final. It was a little bit slow. It was a little bit... Uh, it wasn't the sort of thriller that we'd hoped for. Credit to England, though. They made it that way. And as you say, credit to the coaching staff as well from England, who clearly thought through their plans, knew what India were going to do. And they knew if England had to bowl first, just limit it to a target that they could manage. And in the end, England's bowlers came up trumps once they got those key wickets. And Jones and Siver, both scoring half centuries, did the business with England for the bat. And a great job at the selection table as well. It was ballsy picking Kirsty Gordon for this series, mm. given that she had played for Scotland but was more or less on the back of one good Keir Super League season. She's been absolutely outstanding. Uh, I admired Sophie Eccleston, who did drop Mandana early, a very straightforward chance at mid-wicket, but she had to bowl to her and ended up picking her up court and bowl. Not the most glamorous delivery she'll bowl in her career, but nonetheless, she, she did her job and picked up the key wicket there as well. Um, Danny Hazel, who was uh, Mark Robinson's pick before the previous game, they liked the experience of their off-spin. Um, she bowled very tidily too. So it, it was a selection table, it was training, it was planning. Um, they've deserved their spot in the final, and it's a blockbuster against Australia, who, mm. Henry, we, we saw... Australia today have to bat on that pitch first. And in many respects, that may have been the hardest. They wouldn't have known what they were expecting uh, when they walked out there today. There wasn't a blade of grass on it. They might have thought there was some pace. But within an over or two, we knew it was a stinker. And seeing the way Elisa Healy adapted, likewise Meg Lanning, and the way Rachel Haynes stuck the landing, they deserved to make a total, which was by far the most amount of runs made on the day. And again, the West Indies completely capitulated in a similar way to India. Yeah, absolutely. Australia, outstanding. They've been brilliant throughout the tournament. The one game against India where they... They struggled, but every team in a major tournament is going to have one game where they underperform. It's the very nature of, of tournament cricket and tournament sports. And the performance today, particularly from Alyssa Healy at the top of the order, she looks like oh, she's in the form of her life. She looks mm. absolutely outstanding. Huge player for this Australian side. Meg Lanning's leading the team well again. And, and you've got batter after batter after batter. You, you get one out and suddenly it's Rachel Haynes coming out. Suddenly it's Elise Perry. And yeah. you just think it keeps on coming. That's the problem that you've got. I think with Australia and certain teams, India, for example, it's about getting wickets. Australia, it's more about containment and ensuring mm. that what you're chasing, if Australia are batting first, is within reach and that you can chase it down. It's not so much about trying to get the three or four key wickets that are going to unlock the tail, because there isn't a tail, really. You've got Delissa Kamins, who can smack the ball a mile, who's, yep. who's batting at nine. It's, it's a ludicrously long tail and long, uh, sorry, ludicrously long batting order. And this Australia side, I think you, you'd be hard-pushed to say that any other side on Saturday's favourite. And I love the fact that the two teams that won today were the two that were willing to adapt with the bat. You saw the way Meg Ladding was immediately shuffling across mm. the crease and making room for herself, likewise Rachel Haynes at the end. So, look, we're seeing the two teams who are willing to take it on and play a different way in different conditions. We can expect much the same on Saturday. I don't imagine the pitch two over is going to play any better than the one we did today. So what it might actually turn into on Saturday is a very entertaining a game of tactical cricket mm. so that should be fascinating to watch I'm sure everyone is listening to the Wisdom Cricket Weekly podcast will be doing precisely that and, and thanks to Henry for joining us uh, throughout the course of the series so far absolute pleasure it's been really good fun I, I think this World Cup has deserved a, a bit of a run fest at some point we're not going to get in the final I can't see how that's going to happen we, we've been waiting to see how the likes of Ash Gardner for Australia Harmanpreet Kaur and Smriti Mandan we've seen glimpses at how they might strike the ball even you know Sophie Devine and 
Chloe Tryon for mm. South Africa. All these big-name players, we come to this part of the world and think, what kind of scores, what sort of hitting are we going to see? It's not going to be like that on, on Saturday evening. It's going to be, as you say, much more tactical. But in its own way, it'll be fascinating. You've got to say Australia are favourites, but who knows? Yeah, absolutely right. Good night from Antigua. Enjoy your week. We'll talk soon. Right then, gentlemen, throwing it forward to midnight Saturday night. Um, it's, it's a witching hour and I dare, dare be, be terrified of what you two tend to get up to um, out there in your East London warehouses. However, um, there's a game of cricket going to be taking place between these two mighty sides. Um, it's a tough one to call. Most of us had this as the final. Um, it's the final probably that the tournament deserves. They've been the most consistent sides throughout. Um, how do you see it overall, and specifically, which individuals do you think are going to be key here, Ben? Uh, ben G, first up. Well, I mean, from Australia, the one person... I mean, she's not who you'd pick out You'd pick out before the tournament, maybe, but Alyssa Healy has just been in absolutely stunning form. She's been a... Like, it's been pictures that no one really has been able to score freely on consistently, and she has basically got a, a, a score every time she's batted. 56 and, from 34 or 5 balls last night, where no one else could really hit it off the square. Yeah, 21 ball 50 against Ireland. She's Yeah, she, 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 she's been amazing, and I think it's she, she, she's not come from nowhere. She's been around for a while, but I don't think people realise she could be like the main, say, throughout a, a whole tournament. Yeah, um, leading run scorer in the tournament so far. Um, and for England women? Well, I think I think it's, it's Nat Silver for me. Uh, she um, not She's obviously, we saw how well, she batted last night, and we know she can sort of do all the types of batting. She can she can hit a miles if needs be, or she can be canny and uh, accumulate accumulate a half century. But I think it's it's the bowling as well that will be really important. With England not having Brunt, and with Nat Siver sort of she she kind of just grows with the occasion. I think mm-hmm. that um, she uh, she remodelled her action coming into the tournament. She did a bit bit of work. She was sort of all going towards the target, whatever that means, and. Uh, <laughs> Uh, but but she but she she's bowled really really well. She she seems to be quite enjoying taking the new ball. I think and mm-hmm. I, 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 it's it's just uh, yeah. I mean and she kind of affects the game whenever she plays it. You know. So. There are more high profile uh, uh, England England stars and in some ways more charismatic. Obviously charismatic England stars in this team. But Nat Siver is pound for pound England's best cricketer. Ben Gardner. Do you agree with that? Uh, yes. Yeah. I think I do. Especially in. 2020 cricket because she is the she, she is the one who can play all the roles in that that the easier she she glides between anything you kind of and not even anything you ask her to do she just kind of seems to just have that innate game understanding where she can pick it up like whatever needs to be done so yeah I, I'd, I'd say so I mean obviously obviously they can have lots of brilliant cricketers and Brunt is the other one if she was fit mm. really because she she can she's really really important in that middle order normally yeah and she obviously can bowl really quickly and again, has that kind of fire. To it, yeah, it's obviously a desperate loss on a personal level uh, for, for Catherine not to, not to have overcome that injury, but also considering that Sarah Taylor is not there either, it's, it's, it's a top effort by this side to have got to the final. Mm. Just on that, Siva, I, I interviewed her a month or two ago at Lords just before they, they headed out, and, and I asked her, um, are you capable of becoming the best player in the world? And her answer was immaculate. She said, quote, I think that I could be, and I want to be, but I'm not there yet. Which is such a delightfully sort of succinct, to the point, uh, modest and yet tellingly uh, self-assured answer. Uh, I think she has that capability. Um, she she hits it with a purity that you don't you don't see in many other 
cricketers around the world mm -hmm. of, of either gender. Um, and she took that game away from India last night through power. And it's, it's, it's a word that we don't like to use around women's cricket too much because we prefer to consider the finesse and the elegance and the, the strategy. But Siva, on, a, on a, a slag heap pitch, took that game away. And Jones, Amy Jones played beautifully as well, but it was Siva's uh, injection of power that, that changed the, the course of that game. Ben Jones, can she become the best cricketer in the world? I don't think she's that far away already, to be honest. I think she's her bowling has obviously improved since the remodelling, and that's made a big difference to just how easy she looks at the crease, I think. And what I've really liked watching her in this competition is the way that she's swept the ball so well on pitches, like you say, that have been not the most conducive to fast bowling, but they've been they've been gripping, they've been turning, they've been spitting occasionally when mm -hmm. someone's put a bit of, bit of something on the ball. And actually, she's been confident in using that in using that stroke. Not unlike the men's test team at the moment, there's, yeah. there's a kind of similar ethos there in terms of how they are willing to make a decision about what is the best tactic in the situation and then just execute it regardless of, you know, when you take something that extreme and you just keep doing it, you're going to attract criticism if it goes wrong. Um, and actually she's managed to kind of get, make, make the best of it and, you know, I think she's, if she can take that mentality and put it into everything she does then yeah. there's no reason why she can't be the best within 12 months she also seems like a big match player as well obviously she made the 51 in the World Cup final last yeah. year she came in in a tricky situation last night really England weren't going anywhere 20 odd for two after mm -hmm. five overs um, and she seems like she turns it on for the big occasions she's not a player to hang your hat on when you you're already comfortably in front against an average side, which of course is the mark of a top top quality cricketer. Is that, um, is that what she needs to do? It's just, it's just that that consistency to be the best in the world. Well, you're, you you're obsessed with, with numbers, aren't you? So you probably think that I don't. I tend to yes. I tend to mark mark cricketers by what they do when push comes to shove, and and I don't think that series is that far off. You, you can use numbers to decide when push does become shove, though. So that's, yeah, that is quite important. Yeah, you you can do one of the things if, if you're that way inclined. To, one thing that Siva does need to do probably is maybe just get that extra little bit of pace because, like you say, occasionally the power comes through in the batting. She's clearly got that athletic ability, and if she could put that extra five kilometers per hour on, then she goes from being kind of a, a Megan shoot to being a DeAndre Dotton and all of a sudden she's a serious cricketer. Yep. And maybe these pitches are where her bowling is sort of best when there is a little bit of grip and it's not it's yep. not pace on the ball that's exactly key. So maybe in terms of her bowling that is slightly uh, making it seem better than perhaps it isn't in reality. Which mm -hmm. is, yeah. She's a reluctant superstar that's it, but, um, but it could be her crowning night, I, I, I suspect, on Saturday evening. If not uh, Nat Siver or Elisa Healy, who who are we looking at, Ben Jones? Um, well, it's funny that you were you were kind of moving away from the strategy and the finesse, but that is I'm, I'm just oh, that's I'm, kind of where I'm I come a different into my time. own. Really, that's, that's, where, that's where I want to I want to focus in on. And um, obviously, this year has been notable in women's cricket for the explosion in the batting and the way that suddenly everyone's scoring rates have gone through the roof and everyone's suddenly hitting sixes everywhere. But that's not been the way that this tournament has gone. It's been a bowlers tournament. And as such, you've got to pick two bowlers for, to, to define the final. And so I've, I've, I've crunched the numbers, so to speak. And um, I think it's fair to say that whilst Healy is the most destructive batsman, Elise Perry has a, an aura around her in all forms of cricket. And England will want her wicket the most. She was brilliant with the ball last night against the West Indies. Changed the course of that innings, or rather confirmed Australia's preeminence in that game. Took two wickets up top. Well, the reason I've chosen uh, to hone in on Perry is because of all bowlers to have ever bowled to uh, 
Perry in international T20 cricket, no bowler's got her out more often than Danny Hazel. Right. So we don't know that Hazel will play. She probably will, but she's she's been one of a kind of cabal of England spinners in the, in the competition. But actually, she gets her out every every twelve deliveries. Now that's that's not no one we're talking about. That's Elise Perry. Yeah. And actually, to be able to have to bring someone in like that when you're in the hole and. Australia, I don't know. You, you pump Perry up the order, and you get it, you get them thirty for thirty for none or whatever, and you bring Hazel on. There you go. That's that's your gun card. Sim- so sorry. sorry, just on Hazel. Um, she she didn't bowl so well against the West Indies. Came in for her no, first game of the no. tournament, um, but I thought she showed some some real ticker last night. She bowled she bowled well uh, against the right handers in particular. Um, I have a suspicion that she will play with the experience that she she's got. She also adds a little bit with the bat as well. If if things get a bit ticklish. Yeah, you fancy with the bat, don't you, Phil? Well, whenever I've seen her in the nets, and I spoke to um, Henry Cowan, the good old Henry Cowan, oh. uh, friend to you and I, um, I spoke about Danny Hazel, and she is a genius with the bat in the nets, but it's not quite transferred um, to the middle just yet. But she has experience, a bit of pedigree, um, and I think that she'll probably get the nod Saturday night. Um, the, the one for me, uh, just looking at, looking at the England side, is is Danny Wyatt, who we put on the front cover of uh, Wisdom Cricket Monthly a month or two ago. She obviously um, came out of nowhere, a pistol crack of, a, of an innings last year, 50-ball 100 against Australia, um, and then followed it up with another 100 as well. She's not gone especially well yet in this tournament. She, she's made a 27, I think, and one or two other little scores, but the it looks to me like the nature of the pitches are not really conducive to her kind of game. Absolutely. I think that's right. I think the, the, there is... One bit of hope for me, which is that in the uh, England played a five match ODI <coughs> series against the West Indies in the West Indies just before the World Cup in 2016. Um, and she came in for that series, and at that point, still hadn't hit an international heart centre and been around for however long. But she got actually a really key 47, I think, mm-hmm. uh, and not not a quick one, but it got England up to like 150, 160. And it was a series where no sort of totals were match winning. So she can do it. It's almost as if she kind of backs herself to give her time and to like to, to not be the player to take the game away and get out trying to do that in a way but to to, to, to sort of getting up to that sort of 140 total that could well be match winning I, th- I think she, she has that in her locker and I think yeah um, being as dispassionate uh, and dare I say journalistic as possible gentlemen um, how do you see it going where's your money I can't see beyond Australia as much as I'd, Why? I'd, I'd love the England girls to, to step up and Why raise though? their game because Throughout the competition, Australia have been behind, so to speak, for so little of the, of the of what we've actually seen. They've been front runners all the way through. They got beat by India, though, didn't they? Got turned over by India. Yeah, in a game that didn't really matter, and I don't think they were particularly too. I don't think they were too concerned. I, When's Australia? Never not bothered turning up. But I think I think that. For all the reasons we've spoken about, we're talking about for England. We're talking about players who have performed okay, stepping up and doing really well. Whereas for Australia, it's, it's players who have done really well. We're talking about Haley, who's smashing runs left, right, and centre. Perry, who's winning matches with bat and ball. Mm-hmm. Talking about Megan Shute doing it as kind of just keeping it tight, hitting stumps. These are players that have been performing all competition in these conditions. England, if they win, it will be because they played their best game of the tournament. Yeah, and hopefully that's what happens. But you know, you're asking what I think is going to happen. I think it will be going. Ben Gardner? I actually think that maybe Healy with the bat has masked more cracks in the Australia side than we'd like to think are there. I think that a lot of those players... Oh, we do like to think they're there. (laughs) Don't worry about that. Uh, I think a lot of those players are maybe... like We think of them as great players, but I think they're probably great ODI players rather than 
great T20 players. Like obviously, like Pet Perry and ODI is that amazing consistency, and she she can hit the ball a long way, but it's not like she's going to take the game away from you every time. And Meg no. Lanning as well is like she's like she's not yet. She's a very good T20 player, but she's not great. So I think if you can get Healy early, I think there are some cracks under there to expose. I I, I think. Okay, so, I want to come back to that. So Meg Lanning, um, the original megastar of, of of women's batting. Um, she's not a great T20 player. Discuss. Not, not she's 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 not one of the greats. I think that she. Uh, I, I think I think her batting is based on sort of risk and reward and really, and really eliminating risk and on sort of churning out runs, which suits ODI cricket and doesn't quite in the same way suit T20 cricket. And she, I don't think she has quite this tournament uh, nailed her balance between attacking and and uh, and staying in. Jones. Well, what I what I think is peculiar is that. I'd say of all the pitches in the world, you'd expect Lanning to go pretty well on these mm. these kind of pitches where it's not necessarily all about trying to score at eights and nines. You'd think this is where her skill as an ODI batsman, batter rather, comes mm-hmm. into play. Mm-hmm. And actually, it's just not been the case. And I think that does suggest that maybe she's not quite equipped anymore to kind of keep pace with the Wyatts and the, and the Perrys and the Healys. But I think she is too good a player. She's too skillful. To not adapt, it's it, there's there's numerous players. There's one we've seen today in Sri Lanka who was written off and has come back with a slightly different technique and has succeeded. I I think Lanning's Lanning's in the same kind of category of she will succeed. It's just when. Well, well, yeah. One one thing just to add, just to tie this one up, there is no sense of inferiority, is there, from the, the England girls when they look over and see who they're up against? Mm-hmm. Uh, they've beaten Australia enough in the last few years uh, to fear nothing on that score. Um, I think it's going to be a, a humdinger. I'm glad that it's this final. I, I was, I think everybody felt for the West Indies girls last night, openly yeah. devastated. Uh, this was their tournament. They've had a rough couple of years and it didn't work out for them at all against Australia. There's ways to lose games at cricket and that wasn't one of them, unfortunately. But I think this is the right final for the tournament. I think it's going to be uh, an absolute humdinger. I'll certainly be staying up, but then... I always am at midnight on a Saturday night. <laughs> anyway, we'll leave that one alone. Um, there is something else happening. Um, out in Sri Lanka. Now, England, uh, after a rum old time of it away from home, uh, won their first test match in 740-odd days, two or three weeks ago, and then, glory be, went ahead and won another one. Um, what are we learning about this team, Ben Jones? There's a broad question for you. <laughs> um, you didn't see that coming either, did you? No, you Nor did I, to be fair. Yeah, no, it came out of left field. Much like a lot of England's tactics. Lovely. Over, there we go, there's a link. Um... I think what we're learning is that they're learning to embrace a kind of chaos which has defined them negatively for quite a while. This sense of, you know, the uh, the selection, revolving door, who's opening the batting, who's at three, who's at four, where's Root, who's Stokes, where's Bairstow. And all of a sudden, that's been turned into a kind of a sophisticated fluidity. Partly that, come, that comes through winning, but with all the bowling options they've got, with all the all-rounders are in there, it's taken the addition of a few specialists, Jack Leach and Rory Burns at the top of the order, and all of a sudden, they look like a team that's got a strong spine with loads of fluidity around it. Much like a very healthy spine. Um, <laughs> but to- Total cricket, I think you've coined it. Yeah, I was trying not to say it, because I'm, I'm, I'm kind of rowing back on the on the term. Why? I've, I've, if you search it on Twitter, it's not gone down well. Um, but, right, okay. but, what, what have people said? I, th- I think there's a reluctance to say that a team that have as mixed results as England do are playing anything called total cricket, maybe like half cricket. But I think I, the reason the reason I, I, I wrote a piece for, for, for your site this week about it, about talking about the idea that 
England are playing a different kind of cricket, not just a different quality, but they're playing a different, almost a different sport. They're, they're inventing a new strategy whereby it's not about your top five making 300 runs and then having four or five bowlers. It's about everyone contributing a bit, which is a bit, a, a bit like a kind of technical, a technical um, resemblance to kind of the Ajax football sides of the 60s, which invented total football, where everyone was expected to do everything. Mm-hmm. That's that's kind of what we're learning about England at the moment. I'm intrigued to see whether they can sustain it going forward, mm-hmm. I think, because I think that's the real test. Whether you can do it against Sri Lanka, who are bereft of Rangana Harath, and but can they do it against Stoke on a Tuesday it? night in, exactly. in December? Yeah, yeah, sure. Which, which to be fair, total football could, and that's going to be when it goes from half football to half cricket to three quarters cricket to to total cricket. That will be when they can, if they can win the Ashes playing this next summer with six bowlers and Adil Rashid at nine. That's when we can say England are changing the game. Is there something in, I mean, I guess conditions around the world are more bowler friendly than they've almost ever been or been for a long time at least, including in England. But in those few places where that still does hold sway, I guess, UAE, Australia, Australia, India, which are in a, almost, I mean, UAE not so much recently, but the, the, the final frontiers for away teams. Is that where the strategy could come unstuck? Because England look like a team that can sort of hit their way up to... 350 now and they've got enough options that they'll kind of do that most time yeah. but are they, are they going to be able to make those those 550s that are going to win them test match over I there? think the difference in that is going to be the, the, the way they're going to take that next step from being from making beautiful inc- kind of bizarrely bottom heavy 400s to making incredible 550s that win test matches is when your star players go to the next level and it's going to be when Joe Root becomes the batsman which we which he, we have seen in the last few innings that he can be that's the difference if you've got a guy who is making 150 at number 4 and you've got a, su- a successful opening partnership with two young guys and then you've got all your your all-rounder options below that that's that's when the structure really comes into its own if everyone's having to chip in because the top order is failing that's when you, you're making 400 because you're bailing you're bailing other players out it's when everyone contributes mm-hmm that you get the real true results. Um, <laughs> sorry, it's not just Joe Root that has further to go. I guess Ben Stokes has, uh, no, has, has more to bring in the bat, as does uh, Johnny Burstow as well. Um, are, are you looking at me to, to lead it on to the Johnny B story? Well, yeah, of course. Johnny Burstow became the third uh, official number three in three test matches, right? From Moeen to Stokes to to Johnny in the third test match. Yeah, although, going, although, yeah. although, of course... Joe Root went in, the, in effectively number three in the second innings, kind of backing up your point about yeah. the fluidity of mm-hmm. the side. Um, and Bairstow infamously uh, twisted an ankle playing football before the start of the series, missed the first test, was declared fit for the second and wasn't picked for it. Came back, batted three uh, and made uh, a cathartic hundred. It's fair to say. It's fair to say. Um then he gave a fascinating interview to uh, to the TV and to the radio folks after after the match, um, and and he and he let a few things out, uh, and uh, asked why why he'd been castigated by quote people who don't really know what's going on. Um, I looked up castigated to to, to <laughs> criticise someone or something severely uh, beyond reproach. Um, I don't think that's necessarily a fair call, but considering that I think there is a lot of support. Uh, sympathy and recognition of his brilliance uh, inside and outside the game. Um, so it does beg the question, doesn't it? Who are these these doubters that Johnny's identified well, <laughs> that, that he's had to prove wrong? I mean, I, I know Boycott said earlier in the season that he, well, he's probably not good enough to bat higher than seven 
without the gloves. But then what motivates Jeff is a murky and unpickable <laughs> mystery, so we can leave that alone. So perhaps he needs this fire, do you think? Yeah, well, there's, to, there's, to get himself going. So, someone wrote something, and it goes, it says uh, they, they wrote that since the tour of India, Bears's average against uh, straight deliveries has plummeted again, now down to nine point two eight. Uh, it's become too great a flaw to ignore. Since the start of two thousand seventeen, of those batsmen to bat twenty plus times in a test, Bears was the fourth highest bowled at LBW percentage of anyone in the world. God, this uh, is scandalous because this appears in Wisdom Cricket Monthly, yeah, of which Johnny is a subscriber, of, yeah. I can confirm. It's not an issue of mentality, it's an issue of technique, said uh, said someone. I can't. Do you, do you remember who wrote that, Phil? I don't have much of the magazine. Anymore. Yeah, no, no, I, I know what you're saying. So Ben Jones, defend yourself <laughs> as the sole mudslinger out there, as, as, yeah. as far as we can see, because we've, we've searched high and low for these dousers. The sole and there aren't many outside the game. I'm, I, you know, I am a fan of Bearstow in ODI cricket to an extent. Which, Your Honour, which he clearly, <laughs> which he clearly doesn't recognise enough. Um, otherwise, he wouldn't be responding in quite so violent a manner. It's possible he doesn't recognise you at all. Well, we, sh- I would. At this, at but this but point, you I are some kind that. of archetype. You're an archetype. Yeah, I'm, yeah. Anyway, well, I, what I would say is that Bearstow, when he came into the ODI side in the Champions Trophy, made a technical change to his game, whereby he stood. He made more room outside off stump. He left more room for bowlers to target the stumps, and he looked to hit more to the offside with that kind of that weird kind of jerky drive, which is so distinctive and so kind of it's, it's almost iconic in the modern game. Mm-hmm. He's made that technical change, and he deserves respect for making that because it's meant that he is now in the best ODI batting lineup in the world. That's St- staggering over he, in ODI cricket. Yeah, exactly. And he's he's made that he deserves a huge amount of credit, but. The reason that he is now struggling more in Test cricket is because of that change. That is a direct consequence because now bowlers bowl full and straight, and he gets bowled all the time. Mm-hmm. Now in Sri Lanka, when he's not facing that much pace, that's partly why I think he's succeeded so much today. And I hope that the form that he takes, because he's clearly a form player, like the form that he takes from this series allows him to kind of propel himself in, onto the West Indies, where he then goes well again against slightly more pace, and then he comes back to England and he goes well again because he's clearly a hell of a character to have around the dressing room in terms of that bit of fire and that bit of spark. And if he can be doing what he's doing with that bit of grit and that bit of, kind of all those kind of horrible, stereotypical Yorkshire qualities, he is a valuable You've never sounded more southern in your life than, than <laughs> that line right there. Distinctly Midlands, um, so I'm w- fine. W- one thing, I'm, g- I'm going to take it down, down the road of fig- facts and figures for once. Um, I think it's five of his six hundreds have been made away from home, is that right? Yep. Um, Made 100 in Australia, of course, at Perth, 100 in, uh, in Cape Town, uh, obviously 100 now in Sri Lanka, and I think 100 in New Zealand as well. Um, uh, is his record at home inferior to his record away as a consequence of the moving ball, do you think? And this, this point that you are alluding towards... Or do you think it's a quirk of, of stats and that it will write itself in the fullness of time? Oh, there's no such thing as a quirk of stats. They're, <laughs> they're, all, they're always meaningful and they always have consequence. Sure. I, I'm sure it will. Um, it will have. It will write itself because Best is clearly a talented player and he's clearly got the capability of adapting. I think the bigger issue has been the, the wicket-keeping issue. And I think that's distracted him as well as this technical change. He, he, said, he said in this interview he'd been dropped for no reason. He said, I've done nothing wrong over the last couple of years. Uh, and I, I, and he essentially said, I'm surprised to have been dropped considering what I've achieved in the last couple of years. Uh, if that's not a direct uh, arrow uh, delivered towards the selectors and the and, and top brass of England, it seems like it's not just the kind of sort of 
characters of the fourth estate, such as your, your good selves, <laughs> that he's directing these barbs, but, but possibly even his own dressing room. Well, yeah, because, I mean, it's, they're on tour, so the people picking the team are just, just Bayless and, and Root, really. So that, that's kind of sort, sort of who, he, who he's referring yeah. to. And, I mean, I think that maybe one of the things that's keeping is that, that we, we, we kind of deal in extremes whenever we talk about journalists and stuff. And when people are praising Ben Folks' keeping, there's a sort of tendency to do down Bairstow's keeping at the same time. But he has worked very hard at his keeping. He has become a good wicketkeeper. It's mm-hmm. just that he's... he's it's, and it's not really a slight on his wicketkeeping to say that he should be concentrating on his batting and as, as well as four of his six hundred coming away from home. Ultimately, he's too useful a batsman, isn't he? Yeah. yeah. In, 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 a, in an often misfiring top four or five for England. Uh, he, he's, he's just too valuable. The value of a, of a wicketkeeper surely goes, da- goes down the longer the game is because the value of a single of a stumping in a 2020 match which takes someone out of the game is, is huge. But in a test match, over that period of time, it's better to have a batsman but averaging 45. That's why we've seen this move away from Jack Russells to Alex Stewart. That's the, that's the point, and that's, that's kind of um, survival of the fittest in action. Yep. Those keepers yep. survive for that reason. If we can have Bairstow averaging 45, it's better to have folks in the side averaging 40 as well, or 35 or whatever, because you're making the best of a really talented, valuable player. Yeah, yeah, and he's all, all his 600s and his 99 have come batting in the first innings of the match as well, which sort of suggests that before he's got himself really tired by throwing himself around behind the stumps. God, don't, the don't, don't, don't say that within the same continent as, as Johnny B. He will not have that. Um, <laughs> for me, I just think this we, we've got to maintain in Johnny this kind of sense of burning indignation. Uh, we, we, we have to allow him to believe, to imagine that people mm. are on his back. And then we will see that average soar inexorably towards the 50 mark that we all know is in there. For, jo- for Johnny Bairstow. We just need to keep him imagining that people are after him. It reminds me of something that someone said about Diego Maradona, that he never scored a goal for his side. Every goal he scored was against someone. Yeah. I quite, I quite yeah. like that. If, John, if every hundred Johnny scores is against someone, against everyone, then I reckon he'll make a good 10, 15 more. Bottom line, what an innings. To come in 20-odd for one, uh, he's clearly housing the odd grievance, and to go out there and to focus it all, uh, to, to make a brilliant 100 on day 110... It finished 300-odd for seven, England. They may well have thrown away an impregnable position, but we should wait and see. And, of course, these podcasts, they do tend to age quite quickly, so we'll (laughs) leave that one alone. Overall, though, outstanding performance by by Joe Root's team, and it is Joe Root's team. Uh, Yeah, I'd say so. I mean, he's he's really stamped his mark. I I, I think people have been a bit, again, it goes up and down with how the team do, people are critical of captain or not. But I actually think there's been stuff to admire in Joe Root's captaincy all the way through. Maybe tactically, he has a bit to work on but that's coming I think we've seen in this series he's managed six bowlers really well which isn't an easy thing to do but I think um, in terms of creating a dressing room environment people say that Bayless is that well but I think Root has as well I think that uh, over what must have been a really tough winter tour England did stay a remarkably solid mm. dressing room and there was no there was no hint really of, of fallout inside there and I think that Root can take some credit for that and for keeping a, a team together when there have been maybe not on Bairstow's batting, but in general, quite a lot of criticisms, and he's now reaping the rewards. He's probably being a bit premature in suggesting that they're quite close to being the number one side in the world, although they, I think they're going to go up to number two if they do win this test. Which and, and, if, and if they win 5 0 next year, I think, if they beat Australia 5 0, they, they potentially go to number one. <laughs> Is that right? Uh, yeah, anyway, we, we can come to that as and when, uh, chaps. Um, I just want to move on from, from England's garlanded winter uh, to look at the state. Um, of pace bowling in the modern age. I'm going to come to you, Ben Jones, because 
You're all over these magazines these days. You must be doing something right. And you've, you've yeah. helped assist. On the cover next month, isn't it? Yeah, I believe so. Uh, and you've helped assist um, a piece in the, the current issue of Wisdom Cricket Monthly where we have, between us, um, with tin hats lodged hard on our, on our heads, attempted to try and uh, identify the top 25 pace bowlers over the last couple of years in Test cricket and confect some kind of measurement whereby we can put them in an order. Try and explain for me. Well, I'll, I'll do my best. Um, mm. The point that we were trying to prove is that you're, the answer to the question, who is the best fast bowler in the world, is it changes all the time. And we've not tried to ask that. Exactly. The, the, the question we've actually tried to answer is kind of who's the most skillful bowler in the world and define bowlers according to the skills that they use to take their wickets, not how many runs it costs per one. And so we've taken this this uh, kind of this clump of twenty five of the elite bowlers in the world, and we've and we've ranked them by three different categories. We've ranked them by how accurate they are. We've kind of done according to ball tracking data um, from the ground. We've ranked it by how fast they are. Again, same thing. And then we've um, ranked it by how much movement they get. Kind of lateral movement, meaning movement through the air, i.e. swing, and movement off the pitch, i.e. seam. And we've ranked them all within that that, that twenty five, and we've given them. You know, if you're the best, you're number one. If you're the worst, you're 25. And then we've tried to produce a kind of metric between that very kind of simplistic kind of spit and sawdust job. So, so what's it, it thrown up? Impression. What's it thrown up then? Uh, bearing in mind these three categories, just to clarify again, pace, movement, accuracy. Uh, what's it thrown up? What, what little kernels have, have we discovered from this? Well, I mean, the, he the headlines are kind of who... Who is the who is the uh, the kind of most in every category? And it won't surprise many people to know that the fastest bowler in the world is Mitchell Stark by an absolute mile. Yeah, which is quite fun because it's not it's and nice comfortably, isn't it? Yeah, I mean yeah. it's like four kilometres per hour or something like that. Yeah. It's, it's, is he the only one averaging more than one forty? Uh, I think I think so. Put me on the spot there, Ben. But I, I I think so. I think Cummins may be tipping over okay. into it. But it, we're talking serious serious pace. Um and. What's, what we've tried to do then is not just look at whether Mitchell Stark is, is rapid, because he clearly is. We've tried to look at what else he also is. Uh -huh. And so he also ranks really highly for movement, which for anyone who watched the, uh, the ball, my favourite ball of the year, which was his in-swinging Yorker to Moeen Ali in the ODI series start of this year, um, that won't come as a surprise. It's serious stuff. All that ball to, uh, to James Vince in the Ashes, that one that hit the crack. And, uh... Yeah, that's, that's, that's a different kind of level. Uh, one of the things that jumped out uh, from from the research, uh, Ben Jones, is that uh, Ben Stokes. It's it's a, an afternoon of Bens for us. Um, only bettered by one bowler in terms of lateral movement. So when Stokes gets it going, he's as good as any seamer in the world. Well, that's, that's certainly one way of putting it. I think what it what it really brings to the, brings to the fore is that we think of Stokes as this really fiery, intense bowler where he just kind of bounces people out, hits back of a length, and scares scares batsmen. But that's not the case. He's he is really skillful and he really does hoop the ball when it gets going. It's partly helped by being in England, but not every single English bowler hoops the ball as much as Stokes. In fact, no one else does. Even mm -hmm. Anderson doesn't, mm -hmm. which is remarkable when you think how skillful he is. Um, of course, the man that's ahead of him, the only bowler in the world who swings the ball more than Ben Stokes, is probably the most kind of alarming name to some people if you kind of just open the magazine and you see a, a number one next to Ishan Sharma's name. Right. Which is that if we take the aggregate of um, all these different rankings, so if you're ranked one in one category, two in another, three in another, and then your overall ranking is six, and we kind of total it up like that, the guy with the, the lowest overall ranking is, is Ishan, which 
for a guy who can be considered a bit of a figure of fun or kind of almost like a cult cricketer. That's quite a surprise. But the fact is, what that shows is that more than almost any other bowler in the world, he's so versatile. There mm. are very you, you could wheel out four or five different pitches on day one when you walk out to the toss. And you, there's very few which are going to make you go, well, we can't bowl this, Shan. It's bouncing, it's slow, it's swinging on, there's clouds around. You're still thinking, yeah, he's probably our best third or fourth seamer. He's never going to be anyone's best seamer. Mm-hmm. That's not what we're saying. But he would form part of the best attack yep. basically anywhere in the world. And, and also just, just whisper it, 256 wickets by the age of it's 30, bad, con- considering he's, he bowls in India. Um, it's a serious record, really, and he's crept up on us. He was, he was a shock when he came out at number one by these metrics. Uh, Rabada, who we all assumed would would, would take the, the floor this season at number six. Um, five Indians make make the cut in the top ten uh, of, of these, this list. Uh, Jimmy, Jimmy Anderson's in there at number three. Josh Hazelwood made it at number two. Um, for more of this, anyway, you're going to have to read the magazine. Of course, you're going to have to go and buy it. Wisdom.com and all the all the other outlets. Uh, go and do the right thing, folks. Subscribe. Tell your mates. Tell your neighbours. Etc. Etc. Um, okay. Uh, finally, finally, what can we look forward to this week, Ben Gardner? I'm looking forward to the beginning of the Test series between Australia and India. Speaking of all those fast bowlers, <coughs> it'll be intriguing to see how they go on those pitches. It's got to be India, right? Well, it's it got to be India for the first time ever to win a Test series in Australia. It's, it's, I can't think of them having had a better chance. I mean, 2004, when there was no. Uh, no Gillespie, no Warren, is that right? Uh, Maybe. No 3-4, yeah, where uh, Dravid was untouchable. But, but, but this they year, drew that series. No, number one in the world, Australia without two of their, well, their two best batsmen. Uh, yeah, I mean, if they don't do it now, they probably never will. Yeah, I think ben Jones? I think that's pretty fair, and that's probably what I'm looking forward to most as well. I'm really, really hyped for this series. You can't not be. It's Virat Kohli playing Test cricket. It's this Indian team. They're the most likable team in the world. They're amazing. Um, but I'm probably slightly, slightly offbeat suggestion. I'm looking forward to watching James Anderson not play cricket because I'm glad that he's been given a rest because every time I, at the moment when he goes out to play in a, a game at the end of a series when we probably should be wrapping him in cotton wool and I watch him sending down another 15 overs, I think these could be used at a better time, lads. Mm-hmm. Um, and so watching him during this this next test over the next few days, just sit, you know, have a, have a little drink on the sideline, run a few drinks out maybe, watch the telly, read a book. I'm, I'm looking forward <coughs> to watching him chill. Well, I'm looking forward to seeing Johnny Bairstow's post-match interview after he makes a double hundred in the second <laughs> innings. Okay. I look forward to the letter in the post. <laughs> Thanks for listening, folks. We'll be back next week. Uh, I've been Phil Walker. Thank you again to Ben Jones, Phil Crick, Veers, and to Ben Gardner. Thank you for joining us. We'll be back next week. Cheers. Podcast Network.